Well, we're here in Galatians, and remember we've kind of seen the whole picture of Galatians all at once. Two Sundays ago, we introduced the themes of Galatians, who it was from, who it's to, the message, the content of the true gospel last week. And now, this morning, Paul, Paul just jumps in. He begins, you, there's just a lot of emotion as he begins this epistle to these churches of Galatia, and we see what Paul is encouraging them with in terms of the, the content of the true gospel. And so we're going to read these first few verses together from Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, and if you would stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. Paul begins, again, just very, very starkly. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. And Father, we do pray that you'd protect our hearts as we hold fast to your true gospel. Give us grace as we talk about some hard things in these verses this morning. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in seminary, our professor assigned us in one class to read an article by D.A. Carson. And in this article by Carson, he was, he was interacting with a, another scholar. And this other scholar had been trying to, to write out a, a, a summary of the gospel that lots of different people could agree with. And so D.A. Carson is kind of interacting with, with, with what this scholar was trying to do, trying to take these different understandings of the gospel and come up with a statement that everyone could agree with. And Carson, in a very gracious way, completely destroys what this scholar was trying to do. Carson says, look, what you're trying to do can't be done. The, the people that you're trying to, to bring together and articulate one gospel for, they have two totally contradictory views of who Jesus is. And not only do they have two contradictory views of who Jesus is, but it's, it's contradictory views on what he did and contradictory views on how a person could come into relationship with Jesus Christ. He said, he said what, you've, what you've done is you've produced a gospel that makes no mention of sin, gives no thought to the incarnation, doesn't mention the atonement, doesn't present Jesus as Savior, as an authority figure, just kind of as an example. He says, this, this isn't the gospel. Now, I was attending a conservative evangelical seminary, and so I, I, I kind of expected us to be able to get together, and maybe the, the content of our conversation was, would be, okay, if someone does preach a different gospel, how do you respond to it? And I, I figured there'd be some differences of opinion, but I was surprised when we came back and we began discussing this article, I was surprised that some people were very offended by it. I had thought the article was brilliant, and I came back and some people were offended at it. And in fact, one young man in our, our class, I can remember he was, he was like mad at D.A. Carson. 
He said, I, I'm, I can't believe this guy is being so mean to this scholar. I'm like, what? <laughs> In other words, he wasn't upset that this false gospel had been articulated, this, this false gospel had been kind of developed. He was mad at the person who was mentioning that this was a false gospel. And I, I think that's kind of where we are as the evangelical church in many ways. The word evangelical comes from the word euangelion. It, it means the gospel, the good news. And traditionally, the evangelical church has been the, the church that has said, look, we're, we're passionate about the gospel. We're passionate about the good news. And we want to hold fast to the good news. And we want to, we want to articulate the good news. We want to describe the good news clearly. And, and what is the good news? Let's, let's not forget what that is. What's, what's the gospel? We believe that, that people are in need of God's righteousness, that we're sinners, and that instead of re- in re- relationship with God, we are in line of God's wrath a- apart from his divine intervention. And so we believe that God in his grace sent his son Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross in our place, bearing the penalty for our sin, rose from the dead, showing his victory over the grave, and lives forever. And we believe that as we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive his righteousness and eternal life. The gospel, the good news, is that by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, In Jesus Christ alone, we can receive eternal life. By God's grace alone, not through our works. Through faith alone, not through our works. In Jesus Christ alone, no other name, we can be saved. That's the gospel message. And we believe furthermore that the gospel proclaims that once you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, by God's grace, by his divine enabling, God transforms you and you have the ability, by God's grace, your new creation, you have the ability to live a life of obedience to God. And that life of obedience to God is still not based on your works, but based on faith. You continue to walk, we call it sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, being more and more devoted to God and his glory. That is not on the basis of your works, it's on the basis of faith. And, and the works that you do flow out of God's, God's grace in your life. So you're justified, and that word justified means to be declared righteous. You're, you're justified by God, not by works, but by faith. You're sanctified. You continue in your walk with the Lord, devoted to his holiness, not by your works, but through faith, by God's, by God's grace. Now, false gospels attack all of that. False gospels attack, look, the idea of here you're justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. They, they attack that aspect of salvation, but they also attack the gospel understanding of sanctification. And what's happening here to the churches of Galatia? There are some people, the, the people of Galatia heard the gospel message, they placed their faith in Jesus Christ, there's these churches now, and then some, some Judaizers, some people come to them and they say, look, if you really want to continue in your walk with the Lord, 
you need to become Jewish. You need to be circumcised. You need to obey the law. You need to start doing these things. And the churches of Galatia start thinking, okay, maybe I need to do these things. And as they start to begin to to do these things, they don't realize they're embracing a false gospel because the false gospel doesn't just attack justification. It also attacks sanctification. Now, brothers and sisters, what we need to understand is that this is a big deal. And there are, there are kind of two problems that I believe the evangelical church faces in our, our current cultural climate. One, we don't have the ability sometimes to even recognize false gospels. Let me say that again. In our current cultural climate, those of us who are evangelical Christians, sometimes we don't even have the ability to recognize false gospels when we hear them. We're kind of like those, those monopod creatures from C.S. Lewis's Voyage of the Dawn Treader. You remember those guys? They're like these guys that are kind of hopping around all the time, and they, and they just kind of agree with everybody. You know? One person says something, like, yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. Someone says something completely contradictory, yeah, yeah, that sounds great too. That's where we are sometimes as the evangelical church. Someone says something about Jesus, we hop up and down, that sounds great. Someone else says something else about Jesus, we hop up and down, that sounds pretty good too. We don't recognize the false gospel when we hear it. I shared this story uh, several years ago, but I was at a, a banquet and in, the, in the Peoria area, and a, and a pastor was sharing a, a, a message, and it was supposed to be a gospel message, and this is a, a pastor who I believe affirms the gospel and, and is a believer, and, and yet the message, the message that he shared was not the gospel. He shared something about how Jesus wants to be your friend, and you, don't, you shouldn't reject Jesus' friendship, okay? And, and, and so if you want to be Jesus' friend, tell him, Jesus, I want to be your friend, okay? Now, there was nothing in that message about, in fact, it was explicitly said that our, our sins won't condemn us somewhat. Now, there was nothing in the message about sin in terms of it separating us from God. There was nothing in the message about the cross and about Jesus' death on the cross being the means by which we find acceptance before God, how our sin is dealt with, nothing about needing to place our faith in Jesus Christ alone, none, none of those things. And afterwards, after, and, you know, Whitney could tell that I was not doing well in the banquet, so I heard some of these things. And afterwards, uh, a woman we knew stopped us and she said, uh, my, wasn't that an amazing gospel message? And I said, no, that was terrible. And I feel this, this grip on my arm. And, you know, Daniel, not now, you know. It's a big deal, though, okay? And, the, and one of the problems is we don't have the ability to, to, to recognize, hey, that, that's not the gospel. That's, that's not the gospel message. And the other problem that we have, I believe, as evangelicals, is we don't recognize, hey, this is a big deal. When we hear a false gospel message, we think, well, I want to be gracious, I want to be kind. We don't recognize, hey, wrong gospels are a big deal. What I want to do this morning is I want to focus on just one modest goal. Okay, There's a lot of things that we're going to be talking about as we go through Galatians. We're going to be talking about how to confront false gospels. We're going to be talking about how to recognize them. We're going to be talking about uh, how to articulate the true gospel. All those things are going to be things that come up. What do we do whenever brothers we love are, are, are seeming to be fall prey to a false gospel? We see that Peter. You know. That's not what we're going to talk about this morning. Very modest goal this morning for our, these verses. My goal this morning would be that we see the, the danger of the false gospel. 
that we could say, okay, I, I recognize that not holding fast to the true gospel is a big deal. In fact, here's kind of the main idea that I want us to look at this morning. The true gospel message, the true gospel is a message that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, and any other message endangers our soul. The true gospel message is a message that we are saved by God's grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and any other message is is a, a danger to our soul. Any other message that we embrace is a danger to the souls of the people that we love. The true gospel message is a message that we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, and it's a message that we must cling to tenaciously. That's what I want to unpack with you this morning as we go through this beginning of Paul's addressing the issue to the churches of Galatia. So we're going to look at, we're going to look at three shocking things that are true of you if you don't hold fast to the true gospel. Three, three shocking things. That feels like a, one of those little clickbait articles, but you know, three shocking things, but it's true. Three shocking things that are true of you if you don't hold fast to the, the true gospel, this gospel message of faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And here's the first thing, the first shocking thing that is true of you if you don't hold fast to the true gospel. You are deserting God. Look at how the passage begins. As it begins, we sense that Paul is upset. Normally, whenever Paul begins a message, he says, you know, this is from Paul the Apostle, this is to you, and then he says, grace to you and peace, and then he says, I thank God for you. I'm thankful for you. So, for example, he writes to the Church of Rome, he says, uh, or in Romans 1, he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. He writes to the Church in Corinth. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you. He writes to the church of Philippi. I thank my God on my remembrance of you. He talks about because of your partnership in the gospel. To the church of Colossae, he begins and he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He says that to the church of Thessalonica. He says that as he begins First and Second Timothy, as he begins Philemon, all these letters that he writes begin with him saying, this is Paul, I'm writing to you grace to you in peace, and I thank God, and here's why I thank God for you. He doesn't do that here. We can sense Paul's emotion as he, as he sits down to write this letter. It's like he just wants to get right to it. He's distraught. This word shocked means distressed. He is concerned. He is dismayed at what has taken place. And what is he dismayed by? I just noticed a couple things here. He says, I'm, I'm shocked how quickly this took place. And I'm, I'm a, what, am I, what did you do so quickly? Well, you deserted him who called you in the grace of Christ. This desertion is a relational issue. The, the grace of Christ, this is the means by which God brought them into relationship with him. Now, remember as you go through the, the epistle, Paul is going to be talking a little bit in more detail about what happened. You come to Galatians chapter 3, and, and Paul talks about uh, how they, you know, having begun by by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, you came into relationship with God through faith. Now you're tempted to kind of have to do all these things to continue in the faith. And Paul says, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that you have that understanding of how to live the Christian life. I'm, I'm shocked that you have that understanding of sanctification. I'm, I'm shocked that you believe that you need to adopt these Jewish regulations and rituals in order to walk with God. And he says, I'm shocked that you're deserting God. 
In other words, as you choose to live a Christian life on the basis of your works, what you need to understand is that you are embracing a life that's not about a relationship with God. The Christian life is a life that's lived in Christ in relationship with God, and the thing that you're doing is not that. You are trying to live the Christian life on the basis of rules and regulations. And as you do that, you need to know that you are actively deserting God. It's in the present tense. Right now, you're making the decision to desert the one who called you. How did he call you? He called you in the grace of Christ. What does that mean? He called you by God's grace, by by the grace that's manifested in Christ, and he called you to walk in grace. The Christian life is not a life that's to be lived on the basis of rules, on the basis of laws, on the basis of regulation. That's not how the Christian life is lived. It's to be lived in the grace of Christ, and that's not what you're doing. This may be a shocking thing to the people who are in the churches of Galatia, but what they need to know is, look, this is no longer about a relationship with God. You're deserting God relationally. That's what's taking place. The first thing I want you to grasp is this about how the Christian life is to be lived out. It's to be lived out in Christ, in relationship with Christ. And what they didn't understand is that to walk by works is to reject a relationship with God. Now, what you and I need to understand is that the same is true for you and me. Most of us would affirm the importance of Jesus Christ. You begin a relationship with God through placing your faith in Jesus Christ. You know what? The Galatians would have said the same thing. People in Galatia would have said the same thing. But what they're being told is that to continue to walk in obedience, you need something more than Christ. And what you may not realize, brothers and sisters, is that when you embrace works-based sanctification, works-based growth in godliness, you are turning away from your relationship with God through faith in Christ, and you are now attempting to sanctify yourself. And what I would say is that I, I know that this is an issue that our church struggles with. Just lay it out there, okay? Some churches struggle with lawlessness, okay? We all know who I'm talking about. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. No church is coming to my mind right now. Uh, but some churches struggle with lawlessness. You know, I, I can just live however I want to live. I can just, you know, whatever I want to do, grace, grace, grace. There are some churches that struggle with that, okay? Uh, and maybe some of you do, but just kind of FYI, that's not where Bethany's at. If some churches are going to struggle with legalism and some are going to struggle with lawlessness, we're not on the lawless side, all right? We're going to struggle with works-based righteousness. We're going to struggle with legalism at times. You say, well, why is that? Look, the flesh is strong. It's going to manifest itself in different ways. I think one of the reasons we struggle with it is, you know, we, we say we're a church that loves God's word, and so we're going to, as, as we love God's word, say, okay, I want to be obedient to God's word, and here's what God's word says that we need to do. And so we say, okay, well, I, I want to do those things. We start doing those things, and instead of coming to faith and saying, okay, by faith, I'm pursuing my relationship with God, I'm going to turn from sin and turn to God, we start looking at the rules themselves. Or we say, okay, here are the rules, now Uh, here are some additional rules and some rules that protect me, and here are some rules that protect me as I do this, and so I'm going to start doing all these things, and and suddenly we're we're in legalism. For some of us, man, we come from some some legalistic backgrounds. It's kind of been ingrained in us. Look, if I'm going to live the Christian life, I've got to do these rules, and these rules are the means by which I find favor with God. That's not the gospel. 
That's not the gospel. Obedience to God is absolutely a part of the gospel, but obedience to God in order to find favor with God is not the gospel. That's works-based righteousness. And pastorally, look, I would, I would just, I would just uh, tell you that one of my constant pastoral burdens for people in our church is that we have people who are believers and want to be obedient, but they believe that their obedience is the means by which they're going to win God's favor or stay in God's favor, or the obedience is the means by which they're going to transform their own hearts. Or they believe that obedience to other people's rules is going to be what causes them to walk in relationship with God. There are going to be many voices you hear. Voices in your own heart, voices in our church that are going to call you away from grace and back to the law. The voices are going to tell you things that they found helpful but aren't mandated in Scripture. Voices are going to tell you, look, this is how you have to read your Bible. This is, this is exactly the time you need to read your Bible. We've had voices in our church that tell you, look, you, you have to do this in your Bible study. We've had churches, voices in our church that said, look, you have to be involved in this ministry in this way. We've had voices in our church that said, look, this is the way you have to school your children. We've had voices in our church that says, this is the way that you need to think about your um, your, your health issues. This is the way that you need to, uh, this is what you have to eat. This is the amount of, of debt you can have. This is the amount of savings you need to have. This is the amount you need to, we've had voices in our church that are, that are going to tell you, and voices from your own flesh that are going to say, look, this is what you have to do as you do these things, then you'll find favor with God. We have literally had voices that have influenced our flock that have said, look, you need to, you need, again, literally obey the, Hebra- the Mosaic law. That's not the gospel. And as we believe, I need to do these things in order to have God's righteousness, I need to do these things as I live out the Christian life in in order to find favor with God, we're deserting God. Here's how Paul puts it again in Colossians 2 that we looked at earlier in communion. And and the key thing I want us to grasp here is, look, as you you do these things in order to find favor with God, you're turning away from Christ and his all-sufficient work. A test, a question to ask ourselves is, is, as I do these things, am I doing these things because my heart is, is compelled to do these things because I love God, my heart's been transformed by grace and I want to do these things because I love him? Or are these things I'm doing because I, I hope that as I do these things, my heart will be transformed? Am I doing these things because I'm convinced from Scripture that this is what God would have me do? Or are they things that other people are telling me, look, you need to do these things because this is what obedience looks like, but it's not from Scripture? Again, Remember what Paul says in Colossians 2, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So how did you receive the Lord? Through faith. How should you continue to walk? By faith. He says, you were, he goes on and, and talks about how you live by faith. He says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to, regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. Those are, these are shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions and blah, 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 blah. That's a rough translation. He says, if you've died with Christ... 
Don't, don't continue to submit to regulations. Don't handle this. Don't taste this. Don't, do, touch, do not touch this. These are all things that are going to perish. Human precepts. These are teaching. This is, it looks like wisdom. It sounds like it's going to work, it's, but it's, it's self-made religion. It's asceticism. It's severity of the body. But here's a spoiler alert. These things are of no value. These things are of absolutely no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They don't deal with the flesh. Paul says, look, as you attempt to do these, to do these things, you're going to find that they're not going to be effective. And many of you, many of you have had voices, look, if you do this thing, these, these three things with your children, do this with this and this with that, then, then all spiritual problems will be solved and it just simply isn't the case. What we need to understand is, look, as I embrace man-based righteousness, man-based rule living, I'm deserting God. Now here's the second thing. If I don't hold fast to the gospel, number two, I need to understand I'm embracing a different gospel. I'm embracing a different gospel. He says, and there's, there's two components of it. The first component is to desert God. The second component is to embrace a different gospel. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly, on one hand, deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and simultaneously and are turning to a different gospel. And he says, by the way, not that there is another gospel. <clears throat> in other words, it's not that there are two ways to reach God and you've just started doing a second one. No, you're embracing a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there's some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So, so this gospel that you're embracing is a different gospel and it's not a true gospel, it's a distortion of the true gospel. Here, understand what's happening. Paul's saying, look, you've, you've started trying to, to do these rules, okay? This, you've started trying to follow the, the Jewish rules and regulations. You're trying to follow that as you live the Christian life you need to understand that's deserting God and it's embracing a different gospel, which means, now stay with me here, what it means is that as you begin to embrace this different gospel, as you begin to uh, desert God and try to follow these rules, it means that something was fundamentally wrong about your understanding of how a person comes into a relationship with God. The gospel itself is not rightly understood. Because if the gospel itself were rightly understood, I'd say, okay, I understand I'm a sinner. I understand that I, I have no ability before God to earn my own righteousness. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ alone. And if I understood that fully, that would affect how I live out the Christian life. And the fact, <clears throat> the fact that I'm living out the Christian life on the basis of my works tells me, look, there's, there's something faulty about my foundational understanding of the gospel. Some, something's off here. This isn't just a different facet of the gospel. And the people from Galatia may have said, you know what? You know, we got these new guys, and they're, they're saying you need to do these things. I don't know about all that, but, you know, just trying to be gracious here. And he says, no, no, it's not graciousness. This is a different gospel. It's a big deal. Paul gets to the heart of the issue. To approach the Christian life this way reveals that the foundational understanding you have about the gospel is wrong. This isn't a secondary issue. It's not just kind of a different way of approaching God. There aren't two gospels. This is a big deal. What's actually happening is that there are people who are troubling you. And as they do so, they're distorting, they're perverting, they're twisting the gospel of grace. 
Now, again, the question is, is this still happening today? Is it true that there are those who advocate a a different approach to how to live the Christian life? And as they advocate this different approach to how to, to live the Christian life, they're actually revealing that they fundamentally don't understand the true gospel. And the answer is yes. Now, let's go to the next obvious question. How, how does this happen? And let me just preface with what I'm about to say with, with this. Over the next 10 minutes, I'm probably going to offend about 80% of the room, okay? And so if you're not offended right away, just be patient. It's coming, you know? <laughs> but, but I want to say the things we're going to say. I want to say this graciously too, okay? But it's a big deal. The true gospel is a big deal. And holding fast to the true gospel is, is crucial. There are obviously some groups who fail to do this. We think about cults, right? C-U-L-T-S, cults. Uh, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons. These are groups that advocate living a, a different way to, to do the Christian life. And, and I don't hope, hope this part isn't too controversial because we're in real trouble if this part's controversial. But um, this is a different, this is a, different way of living the Christian life. It's not the true Christian life. This is not the right way to be in a relationship with God. The, the gospel of the Mormons is deserting God, and it's a different gospel. It's not the gospel of being saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's a different understanding of who Jesus is. That's, in fact, I don't know if you saw this, but this, this past week, the Mormon church came out, and they, they said, we don't want to be called Mormons anymore. We want to be called the church. Uh, we don't want a Latter-day Saint tag on us anymore. We want to be called um, the Church of Jesus Christ. And the intention behind that is that we want to be, be mainstream, which I, I understand, and I have friends who are Mormons, but we believe that the gospel that they proclaim is a fundamentally different gospel. The, the life they say you're to live is, is contrary to the gospel, and the foundational understanding of how one comes in relationship with God is a different gospel, a different understanding of Jesus, all that. But it's not, just, it's not just cults that we would say, hey, there, there's some differences here. I have uh, friends who are part of the Roman Catholic Church. We say, okay, uh, I've had some great conversations with, with friends who are Roman Catholic. I said, and we'd all agree, as I've had these conversations, we, as we talk about the time of the Reformation, we'd all say, you know, we, we agree that the Roman Catholic Church at that time needed Reformation and some things needed to happen there, and, and there was good that Reformation happened. I, I've never encountered anyone who, who disagrees with that. But then the question as we go deeper becomes, okay, what, what still divides us? And sometimes as I, as I talk with, with individual Roman Catholics, I say, look, I, I, I agree that a person is, is saved by, by faith in Jesus Christ, and yet I believe that you need to, to live this, this life of, of, of doing these things in order to continue to be obedient to God and to continue to gain God's righteousness. Well, that's, that's a different understanding of the gospel. We believe that the gospel teaches, we, I think Paul is arguing as we go through Galatians, look, the gospel tells us that we receive righteousness not on the basis of our own works, but through faith alone. And as we receive righteousness through faith alone, we continue through faith alone. We don't earn God's righteousness in, in any way whatsoever. There's no merit-based salvation, justification, sanctification. It's all by God's grace. That's a different gospel. But it's also within the, the Protestant church. We know, we can think of examples of people who've undermined that message. 
And not only is it like the, the, the fringe, pro, the people say, well, those, those are not our types of Protestants. It's, it's within our own camps as well. In fact, it's within our own hearts as well. Wednesday uh, evening, I was driving up to Moline with Whitney for a, a concert. And, and uh, as any romantic husband would do, uh, I was talking with her about the sermon uh, for this, this Sunday. And uh, we were talking about the sermon, and we were talking a little about things going on in the church. I was talking about some, some things just in terms of discipleship with people in the church. And I was like, oh, boy, I wish this, this, uh, this situation, I wish, I wish these people were doing these things to kind of grow in their walk with the Lord. And then, we're, then we started talking about the sermon. I asked her, I said, can you think of some examples of ways in which, in which uh, people sometimes unintentionally proclaim workspace salvation, workspace sanctification. And she says, oh, like, you mean how earlier in the car you were saying you wish people did those things that in, order to, in order to grow in their walk with the Lord? I said, no, no, no. I, I said, can you think of examples of other people? You've totally missed the point, right? Now, now what's, what's the... What's the What's my issue? My issue isn't that I, I, I shouldn't want people to do things that are obedient to God. Of, of course I should want that. But even my temptation is to believe, look, if, if this person in our church would just do these three things, then they could start walking with God. That's not how it works. That's not the gospel. What should I want? My desire, I want these people to, to see the beauty of the Savior Jesus Christ. And as they've received Jesus Christ through faith alone, in him alone, for their salvation, I want them to continue to cling to him and turn to him for sanctification, for continued growth in godliness. And brothers and sisters, my heart can struggle with legalism. Your heart can struggle with legalism. I need to cling to the true gospel because to fail to cling to the true gospel means I'm deserting God. It means I'm embracing a different gospel. And here's the third thing. Here's the third thing. If I don't hold fast to the true if you don't hold fast to the true gospel, you are endangering your soul. I'm endangering the souls of people I love if I don't hold fast to the true gospel. Look at what Paul says next. It is must have been shocking to those with whom he's in relationship with in, in Galatia. Before I read it, think about the context. Paul has been there in Galatia. These people have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Then other people have come into this area, and they begin, they're, they're, they're are perhaps kind people. There are people who are associated with people that Paul's associated with. They are, are people that have maybe been very um, winsome, and they're not bad people, potentially. And... Paul says this about these people who are in their churches and are proclaiming these are the things you have to do. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. In other words, here's the gospel message. And it doesn't matter 
who tells you something contrary to that gospel message, it'd be better for that person to be accursed than for you to accept that true gospel message. Let him be anathema. Let him be eternally condemned rather than proclaim that message. The message that I preached to at first is the true gospel. And the, the, the authority of the gospel is not on the basis of our personality. It's not on the basis of our authority as an individual. It's on the basis of the authority of God himself. And Paul says, look, any other gospel message is the gospel that damns. Hold fast to the true gospel. And how shocking would it have been for the people who are receiving this letter to hear what Paul says about those who are proclaiming these false gospels. It's a big deal. The gospel is important. The true gospel message, the true gospel message is that we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone and any other message endangers our souls. As we fail to hold fast to this true gospel, what's happening? As we fail to hold fast to this true gospel as we live out the Christian life, and, and again, maybe some of us come from backgrounds that teach us about, you know, you need to do these things, you, have, you need to have these guardrails, and you need to have these regulations, and you need to th- do these things in order to receive God's righteousness, in, in order to ha- stay in favor with God, or you need to do all these things. As we believe that, we have left our relationship with God and embraced these man-based rules, and it's a big deal. As we desert God, what's happening? We're embracing a different gospel. Foundationally, we have misunderstood that the truth of the gospel, the truth that I have nothing in and of myself to offer to God, that all things that I have are from him, and all things that, that I do are, are from his grace. And so even as I live out the Christian life and as I, I do obedient things, and, and by the way, and by the way, What you will find, I believe, as you refuse and turn away from man-based rules and pursue a relationship with God, what you will find is that true obedience to God that comes from a heart that's been transformed is is far more invasive, is far more life-transforming, is far more radical than man-based righteousness, right? In other words, coming to the gospel, coming to Jesus Christ, and then living out a life of, of love for him is going to be far more life-transforming than saying, here are 18,000 rules that I have to follow. So as we fail to embrace the true gospel, we're deserting God relationally, we're embracing a different gospel, and we're endangering souls. Because the reality may be, if, if I fail, when I'm confronted with how my life when I'm confronted with how my life is deviating from the true gospel, the person whose heart has truly been transformed will, will turn. They'll say, you know what? I am being inconsistent here. I, I am a, a child of God through faith in Jesus. Thank you for showing me this and turn back to faith in, in God. But if my heart hasn't been truly transformed by the gospel, and I haven't understood the gospel, and I haven't seen the beauty of Jesus, the, the danger is that I'll continue to walk in man-based righteousness, revealing that perhaps I never understood the gospel at all, my soul's in danger. Brothers and sisters, this is a big deal. It's a big deal that we hold fast to the true gospel. It's a big deal so that we, so that we experience the joy of God in our Christian life. And it's also a big deal so that we can make sure that we clearly proclaim the true message of the beauty of Jesus to those 
who are lost. Because how tragic would it be if by our lives and by our doctrine we proclaim a gospel that doesn't save but the damns. We want those that we love. We want ourselves to hear the true gospel of grace, of faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, so they can come into relationship with God through faith. Father, we do ask for your grace on our church. We pray that by your grace our hearts would be continually transformed. We trust that by your grace we've come into relationship with you through faith in your son Jesus on the basis of his all-sufficient work on the cross. And now we pray that you'd help us to continue in walking in obedience to you as we turn to you, our great God and Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.